Welcome to a special podcast series from Finnegan, exploring some of the hottest topics in the life sciences industry. In this episode, we're talking about the doctrine of inherency and obviousness. Our guests are Finnegan attorneys Jill McAlpine, Alyssa Lipton, Lulu Wang, and Sarah Lyman. Lulu, can you first just remind us what the doctrine of inherency and obviousness is and why it is especially relevant to life sciences companies? Well, the story of inherency really starts with the doctrine called inherent anticipation, which many folks are familiar with. At a high level, it just means that if a property or a product is necessarily and inevitably present in the prior art, even if it's not disclosed and even if it's not appreciated at the time, that single piece of prior art can be anticipatory. Now, inherent obviousness is a little bit different. You don't need all of the claim limitations to be disclosed in a single document. Instead, inherent obviousness really allows you to fill in a missing element in the context of an obviousness analysis. There is still the requirement that that limitation be necessarily and inevitably present, or it has to necessarily result from the combination of elements that are explicitly in the prior art. Now, this is particularly relevant in the life sciences, right? Because you're putting a drug in the body and seeking to change the body in some way. On some level, the goal of the doctrine is to prevent something in the prior art from becoming patentable again, just by testing and claiming some new but inherent property. Santaris versus Parr is a case that comes to mind. There, the federal circuit found that claims to blood concentrations of a drug after administration were obvious. Now, even though the blood concentration value was not specifically provided in the prior art, the court found that it was an inherent property of that drug formulation. In Cow is another example. There, the patent office and then the board were looking at claims reciting a particular pharmacokinetic property of a drug when it was administered to a subject under fed conditions instead of fasted conditions, a so-called food effect. And both the patent office and the board rejected those claims as obvious in view of prior art that just taught the drug formulation. The federal circuit affirmed that obviousness finding and said that that food effect is really just an inherent property of the existing drug formulation. And it didn't matter that the prior art didn't expressly disclose or even recognize that there was such a thing as a food effect. Now, you can start to see where inherent obviousness can be a pretty slippery slope in the life sciences. So say, what if instead of a food effect, you discovered that a drug worked very well when co-administered with a specific vitamin? Or what if you discovered that your drug was really great for a specific patient subpopulation. You know, how do you consider inherent obviousness in those contexts? 
All that to say, uh, even if you manage to dodge inherent anticipation, you should still be very mindful of the doctrine of inherent obviousness. Okay. Well, thank you, Lulu. Alyssa, the doctrine has received a lot of attention from the federal circuit in recent years. Why? I think the inherency doctrine gets so much attention from the federal circuit because it's a tricky doctrine for courts to apply, particularly in the obviousness context. As Lulu mentioned, an inherent characteristic of a composition or a method can, under some circumstances, supply a claim element in an obviousness analysis, even if the inherent characteristic is not appreciated at the time. In a traditional obviousness analysis, there must, of course, be a suggestion, teaching, or motivation to combine the elements of the prior art in order to achieve the claimed invention. As the court said in In Re Sporman, which is a CCPA case from 1966, that which may be inherent is not necessarily known. Obviousness cannot be predicated on what is unknown. I think the key to making sense of the recent Federal Circuit cases in this area is to remember that the inherent property cannot be used to supply the motivation to combine the relevant prior art teachings. Rather, a patent challenger must establish a motivation to combine the relevant prior art teachings without relying on the inherent property. Patent challenger also needs to establish a reasonable expectation of success in achieving the claimed composition or in practicing the claimed method, putting aside the inherent property. The fight in these cases is often over whether a property is necessarily present or naturally flowing from an otherwise obvious composition or method and the types of evidence required to demonstrate this. The outcome can be difficult to predict because the cases are highly fact-specific. Okay, great. And Sarah, what have been some notable recent decisions in this area? And generally, what do those decisions stand for? Well, one notable recent decision is Endo versus Custafarm. This is a federal circuit case from 2018 that shows the challenge of establishing that a property was necessarily present in the prior art, and so shows the limitations of the inherent obviousness doctrine. In Endo, the prior art reported a composition with a specific concentration of testosterone formulated in castor oil, as well as the pharmacokinetic properties that composition achieved. Compared to the prior art composition, the claims at issue recited a lower testosterone concentration, three-fourths of the prior art concentration. And like the prior art, the claims recited that the testosterone was formulated in castor oil. In particular, the claims at issue recited that the testosterone was formulated in a mixture of benzyl benzoate and 40 to 42 percent castor oil. In reality, the prior art testosterone composition also contained benzyl benzoate and 40% castor oil, but that wasn't known at the time of the patent's priority date or for many years after. Custafarm, the patent challenger in this case, argued that this formulation could be extrapolated from the pharmacokinetic data reported in the prior art. But the Federal Circuit disagreed, reasoning that other formulations might have yielded the same properties. And in any case, there was no evidence that a skilled artisan could have determined the claimed formulation just by having the reported pharmacokinetic profile. The court therefore held that the prior art had not inherently disclosed testosterone formulated in benzyl benzoate and 40% castor oil. 
Now remember, the only true difference between the prior art composition and the claimed composition was the testosterone dose. The excipient makeup of the prior art composition and the claimed composition were in fact identical. But the Federal Circuit held that the prior art did not inherently disclose that formulation because the excipients were not necessarily and inevitably derivable from the data in the prior art. And if you're curious, the Federal Circuit also held that lowering the testosterone dose was not obvious because the motivation to do so, a risk that the prior art composition might overdose patients, wouldn't have been appreciated based on the competing dosing guidance available at the time. The endo case can be contrasted with the Federal Circuit's 2020 decision in Hospira versus Fresenius, in which the court did find the claims inherently obvious. There, the court gave weight to extrinsic evidence that was not prior art, but which the court said helped to elucidate what had been necessarily present in the prior art. The claims at issue recited a drug formulation that is stored in a glass container for five months in which, over that time, exhibits no more than a 2% decrease in drug concentration. The prior art disclosed the same drug formulation, also stored in a glass container. Later evidence showed that after five months, the drug concentration of the prior art formulation decreased by no more than 2%, just as the claims recited. Based on these extrinsic data, the court found this stability property to be inherent to the prior art drug formulation. And as a result, the court held the patent claims were obvious. Now, likely they should have held the claims were inherently anticipated. Not inherently obvious, but it appears the obviousness holding stemmed, at least in part, from the lower court's application of a reasonable expectation of success standard when evaluating the claims. On that note, though, the Federal Circuit did make an interesting point that if a property is inherent, there is no question of reasonable expectation of success. Considering Endo and Hospira together, we can take away that it is simpler to extrapolate from a known formulation to one of its previously unappreciated properties than it is to extrapolate from a known property to a previously unappreciated formulation. Or, more generally, when it comes to inherent obviousness, the question isn't necessarily what was true of the prior art, but what a skilled person would have appreciated was true of the prior art. And Jill, what lessons should life sciences companies take away from the recent case law? Well, let me start with a recap of the recent case law. And I would say that in general, the recent cases hold that in an obviousness context, inherency can be applied or relied upon to satisfy a claim element, such as a property of a compound or composition, or the result of a method, if that claim element is necessarily and inevitably present or is necessarily and inevitably the result. And evidence to support that inherency may be the inventor's own work or may not even be prior art. If the property or result is proven to have been inherent, there's no question of a reasonable expectation of success in achieving it. On the other hand, what is not permissible, according to recent case law, is to use inherency to provide a motivation to combine or to modify the prior art. So in the field of life sciences, many cases of inherency in an obviousness context will involve an allegation that the result of a proposed method would have been inherent or that a proposed modification of prior art would have been inherent. 
In those cases, evidence of unpredictability and unexpected properties may save the day and may establish non-obviousness. That was the situation in the Federal Circuit 2017 decision in Honeywell. And in that particular case, the patent was directed to a combination of a particular compound and a particular lubricant. The compound was known, but its combination with the particular lubricant was not known in the art, nor were the properties of the combination. And the Federal Circuit held that the fact finder has to consider evidence of unpredictability of finding suitable lubricants and the unexpected stability and immiscibility of the combination that resulted. So one lesson to take away from that case is that patentees should identify and marshal relevant evidence of unexpected results and unpredictability in the relevant art when an allegation of inherency in obviousness may be raised. Also, last December, in the early case, in Ray early case, the Federal Circuit affirmed a PTAB decision and reminded practitioners of another takeaway in particular, one of burdens during prosecution. The court in that case reminded us that once the USPTO has established a prima facie case that the claim products and the prior art are the same, the applicant has the burden of showing that they are not, in fact, the same. So practitioners would be wise to closely scrutinize the USPTO's case and show that it does not establish a prima facie case of inherency before the burden shifts. Finally, be mindful of potential inherency traps, not only when prosecuting and litigating patents, but also when drafting patent applications. In the Hospira case that Sarah discussed, that exemplifies that a patent can be invalid based on inherency when the patent itself makes clear that a particular element is not an additional requirement that's imposed by the claims, but rather just a property that was inherently or necessarily present in prior art. And in that case, as Sarah explained, the claims recited a drug formulation that was stored in a glass container for five months and which over that time exhibited no more than a 2% decrease in drug concentration. But the patent specification itself stated that the invention was based in part on the discovery that the active ingredient when in a premixed formulation remained stable and active after prolonged storage. And the court pointed to that very language in the specification when holding that the stability of the composition was an inherent property and not an additional requirement of the new claims. So the takeaway from that case, and my final one, is to be very mindful when drafting specifications about how the invention is characterized and potential challenges involving inherency. All right. Well, thank you, Jill. I want to thank uh, all my guests, Jill McAlpine, Alyssa Lipton, Lulu Wang, and Sarah Lyman. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a special podcast from Finnegan. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.